Hello, this is Josh. I have a lengthy introduction here with lots of good, exciting news. But if you want to skip directly to my conversation with David Dark, that's at about 19, 20 minutes in. I hope you enjoy it. Oh gosh, I've even done it with my students where I haven't told them who to vote for. But I said, do vote um, for the candidates that are not on the run from available data, Mm -hmm. um, candidates who are not frightened by honest exchanges and questions, Mm -hmm. and who appear to be committed um, to the thriving of as many people within their jurisdiction Mm -hmm. um, as possible. Mm -hmm. Vote thoughtfulness today. (laughs) Vote righteousness. And um, I get a lot of looks, but it's like, no, really, you're going to want to do that. So this is my conversation with author and Belmont College professor David Dark. The kicker here in understanding what David is talking about is that his definition of righteousness means a culture of deep attentiveness. And here David is reading an excerpt of his 2016 book, Life is Too Short to pretend you're not religious. This is him explaining what his definition of a righteous culture is. Put questions to one another, tell stories, read poems aloud, and wonder over our words. My job, as I understand it, is to help people pay deep attention to their deepest selves in relationship with other selves. They write sentences, I write sentences next to their sentences, and we get a conversation going somehow. For some students, I sometimes have the feeling that this might be the first time someone has calmly and respectfully urged them to think twice. I hope it's not the last. I write these words on the board. My rights, my wrongs, I'll write till I'm right with God. I'm trying to conjure a sacred space. I ask, who do you imagine said that? Answers vary. Gandhi, Walt Whitman, Martin Luther King Jr. To my surprise, even those who profess love for Kendrick Lamar are surprised to hear these words are his. I suppose it's something of a sneak affirmation attack. I want them to know that philosophy, meaning the active love of wisdom, is perhaps closer to their own lives and listening habits than they might initially assume. Poetry, that which makes things new, is too. Maybe they already love and collect it. Their relationship to both, I want to insist, began long before we appeared before one another in a classroom. Who wants in on the thoughtfulness party? I do. Maybe you do too. So this episode is a conversation I had with David Dark two years ago on November 8th, 2016. This is another one of those conversations that has been sitting on my shelf conversation that I can't believe that I haven't shared yet. Quite honestly, there's two things working against me in 
publishing these, first of all, it's just my own insecurity. After I have a conversation with someone like David Dark, I put it away for a month and then assume that I was probably just a total idiot and it's really hard to dive back in and figure out how to edit the conversation, how to present it well. And so it's easier for me just to keep it at arm's length. The other reason why I waited to share this is that I knew it had some political content. And on one hand, I was nervous, uh, questioning, still in my learning curve of how to bring prayer and our political selves into the same conversation. And underneath that is just a deep love for the church and wanting to be patient. And there's that question of when is the invitation called to be prophetic and when is it called to be pastoral? This is that tension between grace and truth. Well, after I listen back to this, I realize that this conversation only gets really political in the last 15 minutes or so. The gorgeous beginning of our conversation is largely about domestic questions of marriage and vocation. I think this is a perfect space that our deepest ordinary, as I describe it, quotidian, banal, boring lives in our homes with our to-do lists. This is the space where politics really matters. When we define politics, we're just understanding politics is polis. That's Greek for the city. So when we're invited to love our neighbors as ourselves, we are addressing political questions. How do I get along with the people around me? How do I cooperate with them? And this is fundamentally a learning of how to love that is fashioned and worked out with how I wake up in the morning, how I get my children out of bed and make them lunches and get them to school, how I balance what I want to get done today with my work, with what I need to do for my wife and communicating with her on the calendar. And as I learn how to practice love and patience with my own family, then that love becomes a kind of gift that I can share with my neighbors, not to think of people on the other side of the street or the other side of the aisle as my opponents, but as my creative team. And they don't have to have my same theology or my same politics in order to know how to make my street a healthier place for all of us to live. So the mind-blowing, faith-enlarging update is that the School of Prayer is officially launched for this next eight-month season. Uh, we have 32 people participating. This is two cohorts, one here in Holland, another one in Granville, so that folks in Grand Rapids can be more involved. And then we have 12 in a cohort that is uh, distance learning. And that includes people from Chicago, Detroit, South Carolina, Virginia, Denver. To be honest, I had very little faith 
that 10 people would be interested in the school of prayer, let alone 32. And in the process of finalizing the way we were going to approach the school of prayer this year, I decided to include in our readings a book from Howard Thurman, Jesus and the Disinherited, and then a second book from a black theologian, James Cone's The Cross and the Lynching Tree. I just figured I did not know how to think about the mystical contemplative inner world without actively engaging the questions of racism and justice and and choosing those books, I thought that I might be alienating some folks. Some folks would decide that that was just too much to tie on for an eight-month journey. And this connects back to that question of when to be pastoral, when to be prophetic. We looked at some of these questions in episode 62, an episode I titled Law and Order as White Supremacy and contemplative prayer. <laughs> in that one, I was reading a section from Dr. King's sermon, Strength to Love, where he unpacked the tensions between the shrewdness of the serpent and the innocence of the dove. This is the tough-mindedness and then the tender-hearted. These are the distances between the prophetic and the pastoral. And even in using that title for episode 62 of naming white supremacy, I was already distancing myself from a kind of anxiety of looking over my shoulder at my evangelical Protestant family, my heritage. But it's been more than that. I've wanted the invitation to be a space of translation, of connecting people who are in the local church that don't have exposure to justice questions, especially justice questions in a prison, and to talk about those justice questions with the interior questions. As Father Laird taught us this last summer, that silence leads us to a kind of inner justice. And so far, this is what I'm discerning, is in the 32 people who are participating in the School of Prayer for this next eight-month season, that they are in a place of inner poverty, transition in life, anger, confusion, questions, bewilderment, and that it's so difficult that they don't know how not to add some very intentional structure of spiritual practice into their lives. But this question of adding the James Cone readings, the Howard Thurman reading, this is the linchpin that has led them to believe that this is a safe place, that the distance between my inner life of prayer and my exterior public self, my political self, that these things need to somehow be integrated into a Christ-following pattern of life. So, needless to say that the spiritual practice is a call and a response. We make the invitation and then we see what kind of answer we get. 
I laid out the invitation to the school of prayer and got a resounding answer of amen. Yes, let's do this. And as we as Christians come together to say yes to each other, to the God in each other, this is our generative hope of the place where we discover more and more of ourselves and more of God in and through each other. So what that means is I'm just so excited. I'm so delighted by the way the church is responding in the face of suffering. This has ennobled me to continue my plans that I have not announced via the podcast or any public publications that my intention has been to begin a two-year practicum in training spiritual directors. My hope had been to launch this in the fall of 2021. And when COVID slowed everything down, I had no idea if the pieces would come together. But my intention is to keep trucking, to keep building and dreaming, to keep reaching out to other people, to help teach and facilitate this journey. So we have the School of Prayer. That's an eight-month journey in a study, prayer, practice of rule of life. And now we are envisioning what we're going to call the Invitation School of Contemplative Listening. And the unique nature of this two-year practicum in spiritual direction is that we would explore the essential relationship between silence and justice. So, why am I taking time to explain all of these developments here in this introduction to my conversation with David Dark? Well, first of all, one of the beautiful, again, I dare say, gorgeous things about this conversation is that, yes, we talked about the relationship between politics and the home family, the ordinary and the quotidian, and the other very heartening resonance I experienced with David is the relationship between teaching and spiritual direction. In fact, this conversation is so important to me in helping me further understand what spiritual direction is and how I want to practice it that I dare say this conversation will be required reading for anyone who participates in the Invitation School of Contemplative Listening. As we already introduced, David's idea of a righteous culture is a culture that has a deep attentiveness. And David talks about the importance of nurturing a learning conversation where we need to slow the tape. We need to slow down in order to have an authentic, honest conversation. And so we end up talking about how one of the sicknesses that has created the political unrest that we're currently experiencing, this sickness 
is a symptom of a rushed, noisy, anxious culture that doesn't know how to slow down. Wow, and there's just so much that I always want to say, but I hope you can start to piece together this connection between silence, slowing down, rest, and the opportunity to pursue the honesty, the clarity, the courage in order to more fully grasp and understand what justice is. And it's important here to remember that in the New Testament, we can translate the word righteousness as justice. So when we're invited to be holy and perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, what we're being invited into is a just way of living on this earth. And so the other reason why I bother describing all the goodness with the school of prayer and what I hope will become the invitation school of contemplative listening is that in order to get up a certification for spiritual directors, you need a board of luminaries, of elders, of wise people who can substantiate and endorse this work. There is no national or international board of best practices that offers a school of spiritual direction a stamp of approval because it meets certain types of standards. There are more seminaries offering spiritual direction as part of their course offerings, but most spiritual direction programs are relatively mom-and-pop programs. The authority of the respective certification comes from that house, from that school, from usually a particular author or a collection of teachers. So my certification is substantiated by the Dominican Sisters of Grand Rapids. So I'm in the process of assembling a council of wisdom to act as an advisory board that would both legitimate, endorse, and also offer accountability to this program. And I'm calling this Council of Wisdom Paideia. Paideia is a word that I learned from Cornell West. Paideia means in Greek, a deep education. As I invite pastors, seminary professors, and other leaders in both West Michigan and beyond, I am inviting them to be recognized as Paideia. They are, in their being, the deep education that I aspire to. They are that kind of wisdom and charity and integrity and faithfulness that continues to give me hope for the church. All of the people that I am hosting in these spiritual conversations for the invitation would qualify, if they're interested, in being a part of this advisory council. And so now I turn again to introducing this conversation with David Dark by saying that David has, for a long time, already been one of these unofficial, unacknowledged mentors 
I first experienced David at the Calvin College Festival of Faith and Writing, and then at another time at a conference that was put on and hosted by David Crowder for worship leaders in his writings, and then also in his public conversations. David has modeled for me a kind of open, generous, deep, courageous, and also persistent form of questioning and learning. I dare say, when we look at the fracturing and fragmenting of the church in a culture that is so easily capable of outrage in a cancel culture, we have in abundance a hermeneutic of suspicion. That is to say, in our public discourse, you are guilty until you're proven innocent. In this intellectually and spiritually soul-sick world, we need conversationalists. We need David Dark and, I hope, many of his students to help us learn again what it means to be a righteous culture who has an attentiveness so that we can get over our suspicions of each other and instead have a deeper, more peaceful attentiveness to the things that deserve our attention. David Dark is an assistant professor of religion and the arts at Belmont College in Nashville. He's the author of three books, Everyday Apocalypse, The Sacred, Revealed in Radiohead, The Simpsons, and Other Pop Culture Icons, the sacredness of questioning everything. And then, most recently, life's too short to pretend you're not religious. David and his wife, recording artist Sarah Mason, and their children live in Nashville. Here, as we begin our conversation, David is offering a kind of litany of affection and admiration for Sarah as I get sound levels for his microphone. She is an effortless, lyrical, um, tidal wave of thoughtfulness. And um, <clears throat> she's there for children. Um, receiving their uh, psychic energy and trying to help them um, adjust themselves to the presence of other people mm. in a uh, joyful way. Mm. And um, it is a life's work mm. um, because she is, of course, dealing with her own, the child that she is all along, but she does it with open hands. And um, this is a curse for some people because the vulnerability is too much but for others who are working through their own um, jihad <laughs> thoughtfully um, she is a welcome aid and advocate quote end quote so are we ready to yeah So David Dark, it's great to sit down with you. Finally, this is a conversation that I have wanted to have, I don't know, for a long time. 
can't remember. I, I think it was Sarah at the Waterdeep Festival. Oh my goodness! Way back in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I finally discovered her goodness and uh, followed her on her website at some point and saw some page referring to this ominous, mysterious. <laughs> David Dark. Oh, I love it. And um, and I saw some reference to Radiohead. Mm. And then I was like, I gotta pay attention to this guy. Uh-huh. So, um, and then your first book, The Everyday Apocalypse, um, understanding the importance of... Um, we really gathered from that a sense of the sacramental nature that God is revealing himself mm-hmm. through... in, and, But to have that other terse language of the apocalyptic mm. um, to add to that about how God surprises us. And yes. So, um, and then I think we tried to track each other down at the uh, it's the David Crowder the church oh, music. Oh, yeah, that's right. And yeah. you, you guys had gotten your um, um, your days mixed up and you we thought did. it was longer than me. <laughs> yeah, we ended up, there was a flight that was booked that we couldn't possibly get on. We were stuck in Waco for a bit, but but we got out. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I had done the same thing. And David Taylor, who I was rooming with, ah, funny. left. And I was like, "Hey, I got an extra bed." Uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, "Was that awkward or strange for me to say?" That? No, it was good. <laughs> it was good. It was a help, a very present help in Waco. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen um, seen you obviously. At Calvin at different times, and uh, as I bring you into this conversation, uh, as we were just saying in the in the car, um, there's a, a discernment that you have. Um, we could think of the philosophers gadfly, mm-hmm. but your posture is not so much um, just uh, the annoying, mm-hmm. um, objective, persistent goad. But you're, there's a generosity oh, well, thank you. that I have. Um, experienced in your uh, conversation stirring right so as we think about spiritual formation and trying to stir people up not just to think about prayer but to actually practice prayer mm-hmm. um, spiritual formation isn't part of your publishing vocabulary mm-hmm. explicitly but there's a, a great opportunity to translate yeah as you think as your, your newer work in terms of um, religion, defining religion mm-hmm. and uh, kind of connecting the dots there before we dive into that, um, just a little bit about yourself and, and maybe where you begin t- began to discern mm-hmm. vocationally, uh, scholarship, um, artwork, how yes. you, maybe a little bit on how you met Sarah. Sure, oh, I would love ended to up, talk about that. Ended up in Nashville. And yes. Yeah. Well, I am of Nashville. I was born in Nashville. And other than working with the Y, MCA, in... Uh, Northern Ireland and France a little bit after college, I've never really left Nashville. And um, Nashville is a mess in so many ways, but it's a, um, I don't know, I'm very charmed by the struggle, the conversation that is Nashville. Um, But I will note, um, thinking in terms of vocation, I have a, there's that film Inside Out with those giant um, balls of emotions, Mm -hmm. core memories. And one of my core memories that uh, I've kind of accessed rather recently as I've been trying to figure out why I'm so 
anxious over particular things um, and so determined to try to overcome a particular gap that I see in the thinking mm-hmm. of people who think of themselves as Christians and people who are really uh, determined to not be thought of as religious mm-hmm. and uh, devoting a little bit of oppositional energy to saying, no, spiritual but not religious. Mm-hmm. So my core memory is um, drawing uh, Godzilla on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and having the name Godzilla on top of it and giving that to my grandmother. And my grandmother looks at it and hands it back to me and says, there's only one God. Oh. Like, she um, was not willing <laughs> or able to incorporate my drawing of a monster mm. into what she thought of as kosher, appropriate, and in her case, even acceptable. She mm-hmm. had no affirmation for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. in that. And um, that was culture happening. Mm. Um, and how old were you at that point? I think I was probably seven or mm. eight or something. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. It's just back there. Yeah. Um, and I think I have wanted... Um, I did read the Bible all the way through at a very early age for fear of what would happen to me if I was to die without having read the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. So I had a bit of an obsessive compulsion going on there. Mm. Um on matters of uh, ultimate concern. Um, but I also loved The Twilight Zone mm-hmm. and Star Trek and comic books. Mm-hmm. And somehow, though there was some somewhat toxic theology within our family, within our church culture, um, my folks, my mom and dad, um, did not... Um, sort of reinforce that alleged divide between um, the imagination mm-hmm. and the life of faith. Mm-hmm. So I felt free um, to have both. And when I heard people suggesting that there's this strict distinction between sacred and secular, um, something within me um, really wanted to have that fight <laughs> and, um, and say, no, this is... Um, this too is of God. Mm. This too is righteous. And this too, and when I say this too, I can be talking Radiohead or um, a poem Mm -hmm. or a zombie film Mm -hmm. even. I would say that um, everyone um, hungers and thirsts for righteousness Mm. in one way or another. Mm -hmm. And I would even go so far, I'm I picked up a line from Thoreau recently where he noted that everyone um, only craves reality. Mm. We really do crave reality. Mm. Even when we um, present ourselves as bullies or are eager to shut somebody down or even when we're offended by a question, I think that there is a desire for order at work. Um, in ourselves and others Mm. and part of the good work to be done in our exchanges with others is um, to help them Mm. help ourselves feel less estranged Mm. um, Mm. from where we're at Mm -hmm. Um, maybe a little more so yes Nashville um, taught high school English um, at a Presbyterian PCA high school connected to a church in Nashville 
and started writing stuff like Everyday Apocalypse and was really pleased when Baker House, a guy named Rodney Clapp was there, mm-hmm. wanted to do it. And um, from there, I've just kept going um, with, you know, whatever publisher seems to want to partner with me to do something that is specifically what I want to do. Um, and in the case of that writing, I think graduate school moved into my future um, by way of those books. And um, I, I love teaching. Um, I want to stop myself and say I love trying to teach. <laughs> I love being <laughs> present um, for mm. the possibility of education. <laughs> and I was really, really glad um, when I got into a graduate program in Nashville mm. And I was really, really glad when I was done that I got a job in Nashville. Yeah. I didn't really want to leave Nashville. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that is, there was a moment in between finishing the Ph.D. and uh, looking for work that um, there were plenty of adjunct opportunities, but I was looking at not having a full-time yeah. health plan job at all, and I had yeah. to look into other things for mm-hmm. a while. Um Sarah, who I'll talk about a little more, um, and I would read to each other in those days of what we called unconventional (laughs) employment. Um, Because we are employed, (laughs) but we're not, there's no payroll um, that we're on. And uh, the food stamp days, I should say. (laughs) We would read aloud to each other, and in one text, um, we were, the question was, what are you most afraid of? And what are you most sure of? And I said, what I'm most afraid of is that I will never earn a living wage um, teaching again. But what I'm most sure of is that I'm a good teacher. Mm. And that was kind of a hard one for me to say, because good. I hear Jesus saying, why do you call me good? Mm-hmm. Only God is good. I hear um, scripture warning us against referring to ourselves as mm-hmm. teachers. But I... I knew, um, or I feel deeply that that's my, that is where my deepest desire meets mm. the world's deepest need, mm. and I'm just so grateful that I've got a, a paying gig now mm. in which my writing is part of what they want of me, mm. rather than something that I have to just pursue on the side. Sure. Um, so I guess I'll say on that too that the writing does come out of the interaction with students um and when i tried to write without a classroom um atmosphere that did not always go well because i need the back and forth in order for something to be Mm. brought out of me Mm -hmm. Mm. and you you discovered sarah how yes okay so um nashville Mm -hmm. is is a funny little world that i believe um centuries from now if <laughs> if human life is still here um nashville will be the place where the lunch counter sit-ins occurred i think more than country music more than religious publishing um what gets called religious publishing the lunch counter sit-ins um nashville was strategically chosen by um people within the civil rights movement to stage um, people of color sitting in the whites-only section and then responding nonviolently when law enforcement and an angry mob dragged them out. So we have that, 
and we're um, learning how to talk about it. And um, it's, I think Nashville was strategically, um, target isn't the word, but selected for a kind of public relations optics coup Mm. by Martin Luther King Jr. and Diane Nash and um, James Lawson to do that also because of the presence of self-described Christian culture in Nashville. Um, We have a homeless newspaper in Nashville that does really, really well because Nashville has this guilty conscience of a kind of um, biblical imagination that everybody has to at least pretend they are uh, true to Mm. in order to succeed in Nashville to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm formed by, na- I went to, a, I was baptized in a church that is a block away from the Ryman Auditorium and two blocks away um, from the Woolworths lunch counter where all of that <coughs> happened. Um, and I, um, yeah, would have grown up going to school with Tammy Wynette and George Jones's daughter. Mm. Um, the country music stuff is there too. Chris Christopherson Leonard Cohen, for a while, was in Nashville. It was this interesting little Paris of songwriters, in Mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. Um, So a mixed bag of really, really interesting things and all manner of um, false covenant, Mm -hmm. I should say. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So in that, I was um, substitute teaching, and I was working with um, Charlie Peacock, the music producer, Mm -hmm. songwriter, for an effort that he had called the art house which was um there was a structure for it but when i was brought in um well brought in i did book clubs under that moniker and i did attended bible studies under that moniker and eventually charlie hired me part-time to help figure out how to give it an online presence Mm -hmm. because increasingly there was going to be no bricks and mortar version of the art house And at that very same time, um, he had a label called Rethink, which was an effort to um, do thickly Christian music um, in the Madeline Lingle sense of if it's good, it's Christian, Mm -hmm. um, but not marketing it as Christian. Mm -hmm. So he started that, and uh, the band called Switchfoot was very up for that. Um, I don't know that they were called Switchfoot when they signed, but they came along, but before Switchfoot, um, there was Sarah Mason, who mm-hmm. moved down from Detroit to be the first artist mm-hmm. on that label. Mm-hmm. And um, she was interested in that label because of this different way of doing it, where mm-hmm. we're not going to um, pretend we're not seeking first God's kingdom and righteousness, but we're also not going to make that part of our sales pitch, mm-hmm. exactly, which is still strikes me as really really right Tolkien and Lewis and Chesterton they weren't sold as Christian Mm -hmm. writers Mm -hmm. Um, they were just writers Mm -hmm. and um, she did very very well with them Um, and um, I'm a little I'm 48 and Sarah would be 42 right now Um, but when we she was probably just 21 when we met and you're, if you're nearing 30 in those days, that gap mm. is a little more, mm. huh, you're the older guy <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> so I think a lot of people who knew both of us before we met each other um, thought David will be an interesting 
um, kind of intellectual weirdo friend um, huh. for her. And uh, that's kind of what I thought, too. But we um, we really hit it off. Hmm. And I guess I want to say really quickly, she, um, you know, she loved Dostoevsky. She loved Shakespeare. She had all of that going um, before she met someone like me mm-hmm. who was also into those things. Mm. Um, and it was pretty quick upon meeting each other. A funny little uh, detail, I was part of numerous Bible studies at that point in time, um, and one in particular was this strange little anarchic book club where we would talk about The Simpsons or whatever movie we had seen in addition to praying together and um, reading scripture aloud and we weren't uh, part of any particular church and we weren't trying to start a church which made our Bible study this somewhat suspicious thing (laughs) because there are people who would show up and would be like okay when are we going to turn this into a thing and we really weren't going to do that because we didn't uh, it just wasn't our jam and Mm -hmm. it wasn't uh, we weren't motivated to do that I hope I'm not going too long on this, but because of the weirdness of this little fellowship we had, um, people would jokingly, if we could say jokingly, refer to me as a uh, cult leader (laughs) in those days. And um, I had a friend who introduced me to Sarah, and uh, just to give me grief, he said, this is David Dark. He's a cult leader. And Sarah said, really, can I join? (laughs) And I was like, oh, what a class act. We've we've known each other for two seconds, and she's already making me feel better about myself, and she's mildly rebuking with wit and kindness um, my friend's attempt to bring me down a notch in front of her. Um, so I was sold in that moment, and um, yeah, and she she is not uh, to borrow a Joni Mitchell line. She's no longer entrenched in the star maker machinery behind the popular songs, mm. Mm. but she is as committed to her art, which takes many forms, um, as ever. Mm. So she keeps right at it with the songs, recording with people every once in a while. Um, she's also a potter, mm. and um, for the last, this is her second year as a librarian at um, my son's middle school. Mm-hmm. And um, we've been together for 20 years, mm. and um, she's my uh, um, partner in matrimony and attempted um, righteousness mm. in all things. Mm. So as I think of you as uh, a discerner, as you're holding the sacred and the secular trying to teach, create space, you know, we start with these building blocks Mm -hmm. in our homes. And um, when we think about spiritual formation, it really comes down to some very ordinary, as uh, Kathleen Norris would say, quotidian mysteries. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's not a lot of scripts Mm -hmm. for us to know exactly what that looks like. My first attempt at something like a blog before there were blogs, a little zine that I'd give out mm. called uh, Deeper Living Space. I still use that <clears throat> that language. And um, 
my fundamental question when I started that was like, what does a holy person smell like? Mm-hmm. What what kind of clothes does a holy person? What how do they they function? Not in a fundamentalist um, puritanism gone awry, but mm-hmm. just what, what, what? How would they eat? What would yeah. they? And we only dis- discern those things in the home. Mm-hmm. And when you have a partner mm-hmm. who is creative, and uh, so I think we have a lot of resonance, and my wife as well. Um, being this incredible conversation partner mm-hmm. for these questions, and yeah. So, what a gift for you to have as you're as you're sifting through. It's not just about getting records out for her mm-hmm. if she's pot, doing pottery, and then in the library and the f- family, and mm-hmm. uh, just we need to pause and treasure these things in our hearts. Yes. <laughs> and yeah. Be grateful. Mm. So then. Um, so Nashville is a uh, it's your birthplace it's your um nurturing place it's it it makes sense to you but then you're saying that there is also something curious about the the conundrum of faith religion in that context mm-hmm. um as you were growing up as you were discerning scholarship who were your models who who is inspiring you to to do this work this way at that time mm-hmm. well in the um can't recall if it was the late 80s or the early 90s i read in rolling stone magazine about a um minister in uh, mount juliet tennessee which is about half hour away named will campbell and um will campbell um i found out in the article um was one of the few white Baptist ministers who really allied with um, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm. and others um, in the late 50s and early 60s. And um, he was there. In Ma- I mean, he, he died a few summers back. Um, but he was this fella who um, was, you can find him in a photograph accompanying the Little Rock Nine into the school building as a white person um, who's trying to dissuade um, snipers from taking a shot at them. And um, there's also a photo of him on the balcony in Memphis after King was shot because he was there as well. He was like this Forrest Gump figure in a way. And he was also um, really close to Chris Christopherson. Um, they had rented a space together, and he's just this odd duck of a um, ordained minister who um, was in the thick of a number of crises and went the path of not really... When he died, he was on the front page of the New York Times, um, but he was a decidedly unfamous um, key figure in the years preceding that mm-hmm. um i got to know him and um i mean this this can sound like all manner of name dropping but as i was talking to him he had a letter from uh john grisham of all people um asking praising one of his books he was a fiction writer as well as a memoirist as well as a commentator on uh church history and all kinds of things so will campbell mm-hmm. 
um, Brother to a Dragonfly was his most famous book. Hmm. And um, he knew Thomas Merton well. He knew Walker Percy well. Mm-hmm. He introduced the two of them to each other. Oh, my. He baptized um, Waylon Jennings' <clears throat> child in front of Muhammad Ali. He just had this little house and this little hermitage and did not have much money. He had to tour with country artists sometimes as a cook in order to keep it together. So he, but for me, he is the the model, and he's, um, oh, I should say, too, he would, um, in his prison ministries, um, white supremacists were among his, I guess we could say, unreached people group. Mm. And he believed that the second corinthians 5 be reconciled um be ambassadors of reconciliation that that's his his vocation Mm. to not count people's um sins against them Mm. and um in one instance he attended the trial of a um a klansman who had killed a civil rights figure and he greeted and the Klansman went to jail um, years and years later. And he greeted the Klansman, but he sat with the victim's family. And a reporter watching this said, this doesn't make any sense to me. How can you be mm. tight with them, mm-hmm. but in relationship with him? Mm-hmm. And Campbell's response was, I guess it's because I'm a goddamn Christian. <laughs> Which was just his way of rolling. And um, so he's my... I got to know him, Mm. and um, I've written about him. Mm. And he's on my mind a Mm. lot of the time Mm. as one who has gone before me. Mm -hmm. And um, he... Ah, this will be a... I'll keep... This will all connect. But he got to... um, Billy Graham, when he came through Nashville in the 70s, sought him out because he had read about him. Or Mm -hmm. I should say, Billy Graham's people sought him out Mm -hmm. and said he would like to meet with you. And Will, when he told me this story, said it was really ironic and funny, almost mean, that when they asked me to meet with him, I had to say, I'd love to, but I can't because I'm a character witness in a trial for somebody who's about to go to jail. It's this God moved the pieces <laughs> to put this moment of real ministry mm-hmm. next to a production mm-hmm. of sorts that nevertheless is is good in its way. Wow. So the guy said, okay, thank you, and hung up. And then he called again and said, with this time open for you to meet with Reverend Graham? And um, Will said, sure, and he did. And um, they talked. And as he was recounting his conversation with Billy Graham to me, he said, I think that Billy Graham's work has done more good um, than harm. And so he was just, he wasn't going to go too far one way or the other, but he he was praising Billy Graham. Mm -hmm. But he was praising him to prepare me to tell the part of the story where Billy Graham asked him to uh, sit on the stage Mm -hmm. while he was preaching Mm -hmm. with Johnny Cash Mm -hmm. and others. And for Will, who was committed um, 
to deep evangelicalism, mm. um, that was too much of a possibly uncritical endorsement sure. of what was going on. Mm. And um, so all love, all respect, all honor, but he would check himself mm-hmm. in those ways. Mm-hmm. And when he told me that story, he wasn't saying, and I was right to not appear on stage. Mm. For one thing, Will's own um, book publishing brand, could perhaps be the word, would have really been helped by that. Mm-hmm. But he wanted, in a sort of Anabaptist purity, um, he wanted to keep those things straight. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I get it. And, and I want to keep those things straight mm-hmm. because my witness is all I've got. Mm. And my attempt to ring true, um, or a little more true than not, mm-hmm. in all of my output and all of my interactions, that's the sunshine, that's the joy of a life. Mm. Um, this is maybe going all the way back around to Nashville, mm-hmm. which the economy of Nashville has a lot to do with that which advertises itself as Christian or as worship or as of God in some way, even down to the politics of Nashville, mm-hmm. where um, people win public office through their alleged association with the life of Christ, faith communities, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a... Uh, it is tricky... <laughs> It's tricky on the granular level and on the advertising, bigger broadcast level. So I've lived within that all of my life, and um, I am driven, I think, um, by a deep hope that um, actual honesty between human beings, Mm. observational candor, is the hope of the world, Mm. is lived, embodied, Candor, repentance, mm-hmm. praise, trying again, um, figuring out which signals were a little bit false. Mm-hmm. So we've got to try to rewind, slow the tape. Mm-hmm. Um, we always have the opportunity to slow the tape. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's kind of my, my thing, is how might we slow the tape and everything that we're up to Mm. Um, I'll say quickly too on uh, practices Mr. Rogers Fred Rogers who's a little trendy these days but he's also uh, a PCUSA minister who just lived a a wondrously um, thoughtful life of being present to himself and others Mm. he once said in a um, graduation speech we are all intimately related. Mm. May we never even pretend mm. that we're not. Mm-hmm. We're all intimately re- related. May we never even pretend that we're not. That second part, don't pretend that you're not related, mm. to me signals a deep awareness that sin, one definition of sin, mm-hmm. is the avoidance of relationship mm-hmm. or is the avoidance of deep awareness mm-hmm. of how we're all connected. Mm-hmm. Um, I sometimes like to say that sin is active flight from a lived realization of available data. Mm-hmm. And so for me, meditative practices, practices of prayer, are moments of pause, slowing the tape, 
um, finding out what's going on in my mind, mm-hmm. um, figuring out what horribly false conceptions of myself and others are having me agitated, mm-hmm. and somehow letting the breathing those things out, mm-hmm. letting them go, and to you know use the language of scripture to take every thought captive and make it obedient mm. to Christ mm-hmm. and um mm. yeah that that's what we um in our household in our little church community um that's what we're trying to do but there is so much that uh calls us away mm. from that very basic thing mm. thank you so that I see that resonance between that um, really it's a kind of a self knowledge through meditation what is really going on what are the tapes playing mm-hmm. so we were talking last night what are the stories I'm telling myself yeah. at the deepest levels and so we take that into our solitude into our personal realm hold that before God and then you're also conducting this larger version of that through these conversations with mm-hmm. Will Campbell. What are the larger stories? What are the stories? And you you, you touched yourself to his mm-hmm. way of seeing through the gospel that way. And man, you're bringing up powerful cultural forces when you start talking about Billy Graham. Um, what allowed you, even before you met Will Campbell, mm-hmm. to think, I really want to respect someone who's involved in civil rights and this kind of what was already preparing you to to want Mm -hmm. a model and a mentor like him well my um my mother um is alive she's a retired public school teacher so everything that she was juggling all of the moving parts of being present to children in a public school system and um yeah that that was her day job for us growing up mm-hmm. and um my dad was a lawyer um who loved scripture and who loved waffle house <laughs> and who loved helping people out and um when he died um there were a lot of people that I knew at the funeral but there were a lot of people I'd never seen before mm-hmm. and I realized that um I I would have liked Hmm. There's a bit of a, a breakdown, I think, between the life that he was living with all of these people who mm. he was helping mm. and our home life. Mm. Because they were a surprise. Um, and they, it was good to see what he was up to. But there was also some sadness in the realization that, uh, that it was something of a separate existence mm. that he had going there. Mm. Um but a heart he had a heart for incarcerated people and um my mother had a heart um for folks for whom um the public school system for all of its problems was almost like a uh emergency room mm. in a way mm. and um so i had that modeled for me and um my father was also a teacher mm. and all of his um his brothers and his sister are teachers, mm. and my mom's brother is a teacher. Mm. So I, I hadn't really thought of teaching as the vocation in high school or even most of college, but it it became the thing. 
and we in our home um, the divisions of politics and religion of this doesn't have anything to do with that um, that was never given mm. any credit mm -hmm. um, it's one human barnyard mm -hmm. start to finish and yes people say stay in your lane mm. but in a very deep sense there are no lanes right. and um, so Nashville again is is at the hub of so many of these things mm -hmm. and um, working out what was true and what's false and what um, forms of fame um, are oh, is fame ever helpful? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say are helpful or <coughs> toxic mm -hmm. um, yeah so we talked about that stuff all the time everything was talk aboutable mm. um, it's an awkward phrase but our home was a space of the talk aboutable mm. <laughs> and um, I think I longed for and still long for that which expands the space of the talk aboutable whether mm. it's a poem or a book mm. or whatever mm. and my desire is to bring that into mm -hmm. every setting because I myself am the recipient of so many acts of intellectual hospitality mm. I mm. wanna I wanna pass that on mm -hmm. and Will Campbell was that to me um, I never knew uh, Daniel Berrigan um, the poet, priest, activist, but Will Campbell did, mm -hmm. and via Will Campbell, I feel like I kind of have this access to uh, many a um, ancestor in a way. Um, I often share this quote, Ralph Ellison said that we're stuck with our relatives, but we get to choose our ancestors. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm always looking for more ancestors mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to share those ancestors with others. Mm. So the teaching, creating this space, you said earlier, education um, is creating a space where we can attend to something that yeah. would become attend this is learning. The word. And, um, We're doing something with our attention. So you were already, uh, that was in your DNA, it was in the, uh, the oxygen, you're breathing, so. this talk aboutable nature, which is really what I have come to understand is the core of spiritual direction. I've, mm. I taught middle school and high school and, and uh, done worship and worked in recording studios. And, and the, my vocational discernment of realizing, oh, of course I'm a deep, intense person. Mm. I'm a spiritual director who would rather go to a prison mm -hmm. to get to, uh, as I've said before, a bullshit-free zone Yes, uh, to, to create space. Uh, we think about spiritual practices as, as creating space mm -hmm. so that it's not that God's not here, it's yeah. that we're not paying attention. That's right. And so you're You're saying, not bringing God to the situation. Mm -hmm. You're doing the work of recognition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and so that we uh, were surprised. And then you're saying there's a particular kind of um, spiritual practice that's sacred in teaching mm -hmm. in this particular kind of pedagogy yeah. that is allowing things to um, percolate. And it's not a monologue, mm -hmm. but uh, to say, well, what do you think? What What is coming out of you? That's very much what I've discovered, spiritual direction. So there's this thing that you're working through. What's the thing beneath that? That's right. And then what's the thing beneath that? And then, and then eventually we find God. Yes. Um, 
through all those layers, and you seem to be someone who's this posture to constantly dig. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Well, I've got to do it with myself. Yeah. I mean, it's been that little <clears throat> silly little Godzilla drawing story. Yeah. That came from a. Well, I read where Grace Paley said, Write what will take your breath away if you don't write it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, All right. And then you kind of meditate on mm-hmm. that and mm-hmm. you're able to go back. Peter Gabriel line, digging in the dirt, mm-hmm. find the places we got hurt. <laughs> I mean that that works. That yeah. that you can for centuries that can work as a life giving mm-hmm. mantra. Um and that is what I'm inviting trying to invite students to mm-hmm. do. I wanna note as well in the prison setting, um one night I I had a an especially good, it seemed to me, presentation of what we were going to try to do in this writing class. It was the first night. And then, in kind of basking in the felt glow of it going well, a Muslim student said, I'm feeling you. I so appreciate what you're saying. Mm. I've got a question. Mm. Are you a Matthew 25 Christian? (laughs) Which was a beautiful question. That I did not have an answer to. (laughs) And just in case listeners don't know, Matthew 25 is the least of these. Mm -hmm. Whatever you did unto the least of these. Mm -hmm. So this Muslim brother who knew his stuff was saying, I want to know what your posture is toward me. Um, He wasn't saying, don't you dare think of me as the least of these. But he was just wondering Mm -hmm. where I put my work. Mm next to that scripture and I did not have an answer immediately mm-hmm. so I said thank you for that gift of a question give me a moment and then we moved on to other things and then a response mm-hmm. to the question came mm-hmm. and my response was alright here's the deal as I understand it mm-hmm. each of you is a library full of experience and wisdom mm-hmm. and insight mm-hmm. that I have yet to access Mm -hmm. and I am here um, to access as much of that as you're willing to share with me but I also want to help where I can because there's a they get academic hours for this work Mm -hmm. I want to bring that and that's sweet that's a good deal but I don't view myself as some kind of a light bringer Mm, right so much as I am entering into um a form of light mm-hmm. um, that is not available to me outside of right here. Mm-hmm. And um, in short, I view you, us, as a community of mentors. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd been preaching. Preaching? Oh, what about that slip? <laughs> I had been allegedly <laughs> teaching in incarcerated settings for probably three years at that point. But I didn't have that language of community of mentors until he gave me that question Mm -hmm. to mull over. Mm -hmm. And that is not just how I see it there, that's how I see it with 18-year-olds as well. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not, uh, I want to be present, I want to help correcting, Mm -hmm. correcting, what a concept, I want to help with the writing, like here you're going to want to put a paragraph here, you might want to put it this way, but just that. That slow work mm. of, to quote the Wilco song, to find the time to write our minds the way we want them to read. Um, Gosh. 
that's what we have yeah that's what i have and people have helped me with that um i'll quickly note this is new to me school comes from scola mm. which means leisure mm. kick back mm. let it sit for a moment and um i like to tell my students you can pay for school and you can go through school without ever experiencing school mm -hmm. without really i mean who you can't prove education you mm -hmm. can just attest to it mm -hmm. and um those those are the spaces mm -hmm. and they're not di the book club is not different from the bible study is not all that different mm -hmm. from the classroom mm -hmm. poetry reading mm -hmm. writer group whatever it might be yeah that smacks of uh lewis saying something about it's the lazy student that does the most work yeah yeah so we're always cramming and exhausting but if we just surrender to this is what we're doing then yeah. learning can actually become well let me say too real quick my son's oboe teacher i listen in on their lessons and at one point i heard him say to my son sam why do we practice to which sam said to make it easier mm -hmm. he had been taught <laughs> practicing is not drudgery yeah practicing is making the work mm -hmm. of playing mm -hmm. or writing beautifully easier mm -hmm. later on mm -hmm. like there's an ease mm -hmm. that we're going for yeah and you can't uh squeeze the ease <laughs> exactly <laughs> um you have to yeah it's presence it's mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. already there civilization is the long work of accepting our own presence i think paul tillich said um we are so already accepted by god mm -hmm that we can't accept god mm -hmm. we can just accept god's acceptance mm -hmm. of us mm -hmm. and um that feels like mm -hmm. school <laughs> to yeah. me yeah yeah it's uh on the occasion of our elder and abba uh, eugene peterson's mm -hmm. passing i think he has one chapter in the uh, the secret of the easy yoke okay Actually, I think that's Dallas Willard. Okay. But I'm sure Eugene would say something very similar. Um, the repose. Um, yeah, I, I, thinking about, as I work with people, um, we have the fight or flight instinct. Yeah. In, in Christ, in God, there is this third way mm -hmm. that is actually easier. Yeah. Um, to it, respond instead mm -hmm. of reacting. Mm -hmm. And to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. is someone who is able to receive the responses of others mm -hmm. and again we can just we can slow the tape there's mm -hmm. a perceived haste mm -hmm. i believe eugene in some context said that haste is the besetting sin yeah. mm -hmm. of american mm -hmm. culture yeah and uh sarah once making fun of me said oh are you trying to hurry up and matter mm -hmm. it's like oh geez that <laughs> name's a malignant spirit <laughs> Does it hurry up and matter? Um, and how do we rework that? Mm -hmm. How do we draw away from that motivation um, so based in, mm -hmm. in fear mm -hmm. and sadness? Mm -hmm. So without um, getting right to all of the, the political vocabulary that's at the, the crisis of yeah. our growing um, civil... Um, dissonance um, right now it's not civil war yet <laughs> mm -hmm. um, without getting 
you know, right to that. Is there a way to connect what's happening in America to haste? Oh, yeah. To um, this inability to attend to a third way. We're either fighting each other or we're yeah. fleeing from yeah. each other. And then I think you'd said last night something about... Um, you had answered the question of one of my former students, April, who had asked you that great question of um, how do you make sure that this moves from the head and then to the heart in yes. terms of practice? Yes. And you'd said that, that to be able to to gaze, to, to see mm-hmm. your attentiveness, that's the, the classroom is a way to see. I mm-hmm. think you were talking about that. Okay. Um, classroom is a way to see. I'm trying to recall. Yeah, uh, it wasn't maybe that vocabulary. That's the way I interpret it back. Um, well, slowing the tape. Slowing the tape. Um, to receive the gaze receive of the gaze. other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, behold is behold. one thing. Yeah. So I, the phrase "we become what we behold." Yeah. Mm-hmm. I uh, I hear that in Blake, and I think there's a passage in Isaiah. Mm-hmm. That is something like becoming what we behold. Mm-hmm. And to pull that into our own moment, um, I'll throw in the word bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Because bandwidth is one way we say that we don't have time for things. Mm-hmm. And we don't have time to process something. Mm-hmm. I don't have the bandwidth for that. Mm-hmm. I would say that your worship space mm-hmm. is your bandwidth. Mm-hmm. And it can be a um, way of drawing a boundary. Mm-hmm. I have a friend in recovery who says, I've got a hula hoop, and I can fit so many people in my hula hoop, mm-hmm. and I can help them. But if I ever start thinking that I can fix something outside of that scope, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to be on the booze again. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to fall right back into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so bandwidth, we become what we behold. Mm-hmm. We become what we normalize. Mm-hmm. And it's strange to refer to a media diet mm-hmm. as um, worship, mm-hmm. liturgy, but out of the depths of the heart, our social media feed speaks, yeah. and our internet history is um, is not unrelated. It is our devotional life it's our, to a it's degree. Our diet. Yeah. It is our diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so the media, there's a way, yep, I mean, we are on the verge of all over the country. Um, I think the work that we have to do is, oh, and this is tough, but, but I mean, this is potentially a very provocative thing to say, mm-hmm. but if the media diet of, um, I don't want to date this recording, but if the media diet of five people who have opened fire on unarmed civilians in the last two weeks. If we look at that media diet, and we can, we can look at the receipts. Mm. If that coincides um, with someone's successful election campaign, we have to look at that. Uh And if members of our congregation Mm -hmm. or our community Mm -hmm. are uh, trying to profit Mm from the media diet Mm -hmm. that weaponizes the despair of uh, isolated people. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we have to address Mm -hmm. in our relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. There is, of course, the keep politics out of it. Mm 
both sides mm-hmm. partisan stuff yeah but i don't think we're really leveling with ourselves or reckoning with available data if we pretend that what's happening in our relationships with our screens or what's happening in our professional life in terms of um, (laughs) disinformation Mm -hmm. and um, people who make their money persuading people to vote against their own self-interest who also want to claim affiliation with a church, Mm -hmm. there has to be some form of... uh, calling one another to repentance Mm -hmm. and fullness of Christian living Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. So I think we do have a bit of a breakdown when we try to contain chaos Mm -hmm. with abstractions like the media, Mm -hmm. religion, Mm -hmm. politics. But I think Scripture shows us that the earth is the Lord's and everything Mm -hmm. in it, and these dividing lines don't really hold water. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we... Oh, we do it with business as well. Mm. This is just business. Mm -hmm. Well, if the whole of life is relentlessly liturgical, Mm -hmm. what are the liturgies of, quote, business? Mm -hmm. And how do we bring them into God's beloved community? Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe that's a happier word with which to complete this thought. What are the demands of beloved community Mm -hmm. in the way we speak of people that we think of as political opponents Mm -hmm. or um, to get into the Nashville thing, competition Mm -hmm. or brand. All of these are how the world is negotiating its Mm -hmm. resources right now. Mm -hmm. And um, spiritual formation can feel like it's to the side of that, but I think spiritual formation is cultural formation Mm -hmm. is... Mm -hmm. I mean, we can't let spiritual just mention the less uh, hmm, prophetic consciousness has to be interwoven with all of this, sure. or it is no formation worth calling spiritual, yeah, yeah. you know. So that's what I would say are some yeah. of the challenges. Yeah, the way uh, that I work through this, uh, I think resonates with what you're doing with religion, um, the idea of toxic religion versus true religion mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and pairing the way we hold the word religious uh, alongside cultural mm-hmm. and we're all cultured being we're all religious beings it's just the question is the value of that mm-hmm. and where are we pointing our religion so I the course I mainly teach here is theology music and worship and mm-hmm. so we start with cult and the cult Cultus, cultus, and culture. Yeah, and so no the, culture without a cult. Yeah, yeah. Cultus being the ordering of ourselves towards transcendence, and culture being the ordering of the self toward that's really the, helpful. The, the earth, and because every commercial mm-hmm. promises transcendence. Mm-hmm. That really helps mm-hmm. me get advertising mm-hmm. into cultic mm-hmm. appeals, mm-hmm. and that we're our cult, our, our cultus is much more earthly mm. than we understand and our culture is much more spiritual. Yeah. And that there binding and loosing is in there somehow mm-hmm. about therein is the incarnation, the ontological, the the reality yeah. we started by. What all these longings are for something as we go down beneath, we're really trying to find something substantial to be in. So um 
what then do you think? Actually, what I'd found here in, in my notes from from last night that a righteous culture, yeah, has a deep attentiveness. Yeah, that was what <laughs> that is what you said. So, That's right. if you could define then, what is a righteous culture? Yeah. You know, and I think about some folks that would read the word righteous and, and think it's a mission accomplished, mm-hmm. like done. Mm-hmm. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, righteous, um, I too. It's probably only in the last few years that I've let the word righteous um, enter my vocabulary Mm -hmm. for fear that um, I would suggest that I'm describing a mission accomplished perfection. Sure. And um, that isn't what I mean by righteous. Mm -hmm. By righteous, I'm thinking hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and that is hungering and thirsting for right relationship, Mm -hmm. for everything in its right place. For shalom, for um, thriving, mm-hmm. and uh, yes, in the direction of real human thriving, mm-hmm. might be a, a way of unpacking mm-hmm. that word. And so the culture. Oh gosh, I've even done it with my students, where I haven't told them who to vote for, but I said, do vote um, for the candidates that are not on the run from available data. Mm-hmm. Um, candidates who are not frightened by honest exchanges and questions mm-hmm. and who appear to be committed um, to the thriving of as many people within their jurisdiction mm-hmm. um, as possible. Mm-hmm. Vote thoughtfulness today. <laughs> Vote righteousness. And um, I get a lot of looks, but it's like, no, really. You're going to want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, if that let's talk about it if yeah. this doesn't make sense to you if yeah. you think that there's you need to go with someone who's not really doing that for the mm-hmm. following reasons you know mm-hmm. um so yes a righteous culture um amplifies thoughtfulness mm-hmm. rather than shutting it down mm-hmm. um discourse i heard a concession speech the other night yeah a concession speech in which a woman in alabama um was defeated by her opponent who refused to debate her. Mm-hmm. And she said, addressed her opponent and said, you know that your strategy was people thinking and talking less. Mm-hmm. Thinking to themselves and talking to each other mm-hmm. less. And that's shameful. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, wow. But she, was also, she also prayed out loud for her opponent mm-hmm. because she said, I think that you know better. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you know better because I remember the way you spoke two years ago compared to the way you're speaking now. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to work with you mm-hmm. um, for thoughtfulness and honest, even though she wouldn't debate her yeah. kind of thing. Um, so yeah, the culture's, culture that isn't afraid of depth, um, culture that welcomes honest confusion mm-hmm. and honest questions, culture that doesn't speak in conversation stoppers, mm-hmm. um, and the thing is, I think we all want this culture. Mm-hmm. Um, even when someone will take a shot at someone that they suspect I voted for, mm-hmm. I tend to think, and this is my crazy personality, oh, you really want to talk about this, hmm. but you don't know how to start that conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you if you want to talk about it. And again, that's back to slowing the tape. I think Mm -hmm. we want to be heard. I think Jung said somewhere in there, loneliness is not in being alone. It's in being unable to say what matters to you. Mm -hmm. 
So if we can kind of get there with people. Yeah. And sit with, Sarah has a line where she says, sitting with anger until it becomes sadness. Uh. And um, I think that's part of the job Mm -hmm. in our interactions, not just with each other, but with our own beating hearts. Mm -hmm. And that's that's that attentiveness, that sitting with it long enough. We um, speak in the Psalms of um, open the gates, Mm -hmm. let me see. Um, Jesus says so many times... uh, do you have ears? Can you hear me? Yeah. Are you attentive to this? Yeah. And so that... Um, hearing but not hearing kind t- of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have ears, but they do not hear. They have eyes, but they do not see. And so that's the prophetic mm-hmm. coming up. That uh, Do we just acknowledge what's right in front of us? And, and that really takes the slowing down. And, and we're saying then that this is not just a, a, a political thing over in one box one lane and then it's a prayer thing over another but that if we're being formed so thoroughly into a, a righteous person we have eyes to see and ears to hear that allow us to be carefully attentive in all these arenas mm-hmm. and to bring godliness and when we think of righteousness righteousness mm-hmm. as justice yeah truth on the earth the kingdom on the earth mm-hmm. Through a conversation. That's right. We know the Lord's mm-hmm. Prayer, but it seems that many who pray the Lord's Prayer don't recognize that they are asking mm-hmm. for deep attentiveness, mm-hmm. a culture of deep attentiveness mm-hmm. to be on earth mm-hmm. as it already is in mm-hmm. heaven. Um, yeah, and I do think that everyone wants it on some level. Mm-hmm. Um, that we want to be, I mean, we get it on TV shows when people confess to. Crimes. It's kind of like, oh, this is what this person has kind of wanted all along. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we do. I think we want to level mm-hmm. with each other. Mm-hmm. And we want a space in which we don't have to hide mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah. Yeah, the um, Psalm 51, teach me wisdom in my inner being. Mm-hmm. Um, my inner bandwidth. Yeah, my inner bandwidth. And so the... Um, Brains collecting all these things. I edit, mm. edit, edit. Um, in, in my secret heart. Um, yeah, private self, mm-hmm. soul. The, yeah, that part of me that can still be moved. Mm-hmm. I think. Um, what does it profit a person mm-hmm. to gain the whole world, but lose? Mm-hmm. But but become completely estranged mm-hmm. from your inner still capable of being moved self mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah we can lose that we become estranged from mm-hmm. our heart mm-hmm. soul all of that mm-hmm. well David Dark thank you for sitting here and uh, being deeply attentive with me <laughs> uh, to the apocalyptic revelation yeah. of God here in amongst your story and And in this conversation, it's been a delight. Thank you. I love it. And thank you for what you're doing. Amen. So I dare say that this conversation with David, no no matter whatever happens after November 3, this uh, sober, generous conversation with David, I think 
is healing and offers us a glimpse at a kind of sanity that we all need right now. So as always, thank you for listening and joining in this conversation. If the invitation is meaningful for you and something that is providing nourishment and bearing fruit in your life, helping you understand yourself, the world, and God with any deeper clarity, the greatest gift you can offer the invitation is to share the podcast. Help your friends, your co-workers, your family, people in your church know about it as a resource. If you have not already subscribed to The Invitation, please do visit invitationpodcast.org. If you subscribe, you can stay up to date with new episodes as they come out, other videos that I'm creating, and also other retreat and teaching opportunities. I do intend to continue with Father Laird's Sunlit Absence and finish that book through a meditation that will be released soon. And of course, your financial help would be greatly appreciated. As I said in the last episode, the invitation is a one-man band. I have lots of people that collaborate with me on various levels, but the putting together of the podcast, the writing, the networking with people, the editing, the sound production, the emails, the marketing team, (laughs) every part of the core structure of the invitation is something that I handle on my own. The invitation does continue to grow and grow, and I dare say it could do a lot more if I had the time and energy to get out and do lots of fundraising or to write some grants. To be honest, I would much rather just do the work and to trust that as I serve you through the podcast, as I hopefully get back to the prison sooner than later, as I offer the School of Prayer and other spiritual direction retreats, that eventually folks will recognize the gifts the invitation has to offer and then get behind it with the prayer support and as well as their financial help. If you have the means and the time, any donation of any size is an encouragement. You can set up a monthly donation on the invitationpodcast.org. You'll see a link at the top for donations there where that's all self-explanatory. Thanks, thanks again for listening and coming alongside me. It's an honor to have you. Until next time, be blessed. Amen.